This is Using the Whole Whale, a podcast that brings you stories about data and technology and the nonprofit world. My name is George Weiner, your host and the chief whaler of wholewhale.com. Thanks for joining us. Do you ever wonder who's going to inherit your job when you move on to your next role? Maybe find all those skeletons in the closet? Uh, It's an interesting thought, but I spent a lot of time thinking about it, and I've tracked down the man who now has my job, Matt Halford, the CTO of DoSomething.org. Welcome to episode 10. Uh, This is going to be a two-parter because the conversation with Matt is so interesting, and the first part we're going to be hearing about how he approached the job in three phases and thought about project management, thought about how to manage the product and the tech team and expectations that do something that are. All right, let's jump into it with Matt. Thanks so much for joining us uh, today on the podcast. Who are you? What do you do? I'm happy to be here. Um, I'm Matt Holford, and I'm the Chief Technology Officer at DoSomething.org, which used to be your position, George. <laughs> my, my position. So we're in a funny position overall here. I know, and we like, are. Uh, you were recruited in, and I'm very happy to say that they found somebody far smarter than I am to take on <laughs> the job, which was ultimately my dream, to hand off something that was hopefully working to someone who could take it to the next level. Mm-hmm. So I'd love to kind of go through this process of, you know, you walked in to do something and yeah. what were, how, how did you approach this? I mean, it's a big organization. What was your approach? Well, I'd gotten, I'd gotten recruited out of, out of a different job, um, working at a digital agency in the commerce world in e-commerce. And, um, and that was very much kind of my, my angle on things. And, and I also have a big technical background in Drupal, which has been the traditional platform um, of DoSomething.org. So there was an interesting mix for me of challenges. Uh, but this, this would have been, this, this had been the first time I had um, been employed by a not-for-profit. Um, and the thing I was most kind of leery of coming in was uh, walking into a situation that was poorly managed, that was disorganized, um, that was kind of tech in name only, but didn't really have um, a, a lot to work with. The thing that I was pleasantly surprised by when, when I came in was that there there was a long history there with building um, ambitious uh, web products. Um, and, uh, and there was a long history with Drupal in particular. Um, so that was on the on the positive side. Um, I think one of the things that we had to work through in the beginning was a kind of mixed history in terms of how much this, the internal staff knew about the the technology they had. And so one of the challenges was to figure out um, kind of our relationship to consultants, to outside consultants, and what we wanted to do with them. Um, you know, on the on the budget side. There was, there was actually kind of a lot uh, allocated to spend on consultants. Um, so one of the things I, the one of the points of view I brought to the situation was that I really wanted us to invest in having a staff that, um, that understood the code we were running really, really well. And that were together able to make good decisions about um, what we wanted to build, what we wanted to rebuild. Um, and how we wanted to do it so that if we did go through another big ambitious build, which we ended up doing over the last year, um, we would get to the other end and really feel like we, we owned the stuff. So the investment um, began as, uh, as thinking about um, staffing and um, trying to keep as many of the great people that were there as we could. Yeah, so the factors that you're thinking, you walk in and you're like, 
we've got the ultimate decision. We can work in-house or we can work you know, the out-house. We yeah. can get external experts to come in, kind of like a dentist, take care of our teeth and walk away, until you realize that our core competency, it seems like, mm-hmm. was technology in this case. And so what were the factors that you weighed when thinking about, do we rely on external expertise first, develop in-house staff? Well, part of it was just what is our wherewithal? Can we, can we actually afford to have uh, staff? And, and good staff and hire them from uh, from places where they can bring in kind of battle-hardened experience on this platform and with other technologies. The answer to that, luckily, for Do Something was, was that, yes, we could. We could do that. So that, that was the decision we, we made um, in the beginning. We started uh, doing some work refactoring and addressing some of the, the technical debt, which is a term we can get into in detail if you want. Um, but instead of uh, farming any of that out to outside consultants, we started to try to own a lot of that and make some of the hard decisions ourselves about code we wanted to rewrite, things we didn't think were working, and honestly, things we just didn't understand or as an institution remember why we had in the first place. Um, it's a big website. There is a ton of stuff on DoSomething.org, and there still is, even after we, we relaunched a lot of it. Um, there's still like book reports from years ago, and, uh, and, and a lot of uh, the static content, like 11 fax pages that, that drive a lot of traffic to the site. Um, and things that only have an ancillary relation to the main product that do something, which is campaigns. Um, so w- what we did uh, was examine kind of all of that uh, universe of, of content and responsibility that the site had and think about how we could rebuild some of the most important stuff from the ground up while still serving this other content that was bringing in traffic to the site. Yeah, so this big launch that just happened, which we'll get into in a second, mm-hmm. that you know, ultimately you do this evaluation and you realize we need to focus on campaigns, as you just mentioned. Mm-hmm. You mentioned also, and I happen to know from personal experience yeah. uh, about Do Something, is there's no shortage of great ideas running around. And so yeah. the question is, what was your approach to bringing uh, process and organization and evaluation technique to which products made it right. and which products were put on the backlog. Right, absolutely. Um, well, to the big picture is that um, I last week marked my one-year point. So, hey, happy thank you. Anniversary. Yeah, um, I see my time there uh, as split into basically three parts. And the first part was about process, really looking at our process and how we worked. The second part was about um, making the big plans to what we were going to build and rebuild and redesign. And then the third part was just flat out implementation and, and sprinting up to the, the platform launch um, in mid-March. Um, so the first part in, in process was a pretty uh, intensive time for all of us, I think, where I had a lot to learn about how people had been working. Um, and, and we as a team, wanted to make some decisions about, about how we were working. A couple of things that we did um, were to start to use some other documents to try to um, track and contain the scope of things we were working on. And uh, one of the documents we used is called an FFA, or a Faceted Feature Analysis, which is basically a big spreadsheet of features you want um, and features that other people suggest related to a particular product. For instance, we had one main one for our campaign template that was enormous. Um, and it's a, it's a user story followed by some notes and commentary from people followed by three columns. And the columns are um, the value to the user experience, the value to the business, and the kind of level of effort on the technology side. 
And we use that um, for any significant feature that we had to think about um, as a way to come up with a full list so that everyone felt like their ideas were included and then to whittle it down to what we really thought a release was. And it also, I think, slows down the process a little bit because as you say, do something.org has got a staff that are just full of ideas. And that's kind of common to a lot of um, young places and, and startups. And the danger, as I heard, I don't know where to attribute this to, but the danger is often uh, to a startup is that um, they can drown in their own pool of ideas. They become a huge backlog that eventually becomes a demoralizing factor within, within an organization because they have too many things that they can't act on and everything feels bottlenecked. I picture this like sort of like magician mm -hmm. spinning too many plates and mm -hmm. it's like it's that final plate that doesn't just take that one plate down yeah. but really causes this we've spread our peanut butter far too thin out here. Yeah and, thing, yeah, and things come crashing down, absolutely. So what we tried to do was, um, was, was purposefully bottleneck the process and make that explicit so the people understood there was an order of operations that we needed to, to obey as an organization. And it wasn't about the tech team. It wasn't about, let's blame the tech team because they can't work fast enough. First off, it's definitely the tech team's fault and you guys can't. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. <laughs> and we've proven that. Um, it was, it was, uh, it, part of, so part of this first third was about, I think, talking organization-wide about, um, about what our bandwidth is as an organization. How many things we should tr try to do at once. And, um, and how then we translate that into actual actionable ideas and implementation plan. I really like the way Matt breaks this up into thirds. And in this first third, he actually goes around talking with everyone. And in talking, I also know that he's doing a whole lot of listening to every single department, every single person, their ideas, and what they want to accomplish. Too often, I think technologists run into organizations it's kind of like a carpenter with a hammer, thinking that every single problem is a, is a nail and they've got the solution. So Matt does a great job gathering the requirements of, of the different teams. Now let's hear how he takes this and moves that into action. Um, so, so part of that was um, making the scope of things explicit so everyone could agree on what we were going to do. And then thinking about the order of these big projects so we could say, yes, we have to do this thing um, in order to do this next thing. And we're not going to talk about the hard dates for the, for the next thing until we get the first thing done. And since we've never done the first thing before, let's not set arbitrary dates. Let's just start working. Um, so the second, the second third of the year was spent um, really making these plans, specking things out, um, rethinking how we design stuff. One thing that happened um, in September, so this is getting into the second third period, was that um, Nancy Lovin, the CEO, uh, named herself, with my kind of background encouragement, the, um, the creative director. And that, that really made us rethink how we were designing things that do something. Um, we did bring in one consultant for a little while to do some design, but it was, it was almost entirely an internal process. Um, and it made us uh, kind of take a really uniform approach to redesigning things. And Nancy uh, helped enforce a very clean, purposeful aesthetic on what we were doing. And that also brought a lot of focus to the final products that we worked on. So in that step two, um, I've been sitting there, uh, project plan in hand, mm -hmm. saying, oh gosh, if we were to build this internally, I have no bandwidth for the emergencies and fires and sponsors and campaigns right. that come up. So it's the nice versus necessary, the immediate type of work that, you know, you're in an agile-ish style yes. of project management. Yeah. 
and you're in this moment of saying, let's build it internally. How do you manage the expectation of the team at that point for if we're building a new site, our bandwidth is now this? Well, it was it was within the tech team and also across the organization, understanding that we were going to make as an organization an investment in rebuilding um, some really substantial stuff from scratch. And so to be clear, that was rebuilding starting in November or so. So this is the, the last kind of third. Um, rebuilding the core site in, in Drupal and in some other related technologies when we decided Drupal wasn't the right answer for certain things. Um, and we had talked about November um, with the, the management team across the organization starting a few months before then so that we could do things like um, not run really important campaigns in November, um, not take on a lot of new, any new good ideas of any kind in November. <laughs> As good um, as it might be. Reserve uh, one of the big conference rooms almost every working day in November. And so it was a commitment that the organization knew we were all making to uh, reserving this time for the tech team. Now, of course, things came up, and, um, and we knew that too. One of the, one of the ways that we talk about um, that extra bandwidth you talk about for handling emergencies is unplanned work, right? Emergencies, things go wrong in production, uh, a bug that no one understands that's killing a campaign, um, anything like that. that. That all counts as unplanned work. So anytime one of those things came up um, over the last year, really, we take that as a moment to think about, okay, how do we invest at this moment to address this problem and, and prevent it from happening again? Reducing unplanned work became a portion that we reserved in all of our sprint planning. So it's like we think about lopping off kind of 10, 20% of the bandwidth of a, of a sprint to, um, to reduce unplanned work which really means kind of like platform production support, knowing these things are going to happen, but also continuing to reserve the time not just to react, but to turn that stuff into, um, into positive development that can, that can like prevent those problems in the future. So you're currently on a two-week sprint cycle? Yeah. yeah. And you're following basic management. Do you have a Scrum Master internally? Yes. Um, there was a... A person who was kind of an engineering manager, Barry Clark, you know, of course, um, who, uh, who I thought just had a great handle on trying to get, um, trying to get the engineering team's bandwidth uh, manageable and really understanding who should be working on what and doing kind of technical project management. So he's been the kind of de facto Scrum Master. We don't do capital S Scrum or capital A Agile. So what does he mean by capital A Agile and capital S Scrum? Well, Scrum is an Agile methodology commonly used in software development, and it's an iterative process where we define sort of batches of work in what are known as sprints. These sprints begin with a planning meeting where we figure out, well, you know, heck, how much work are we going to get done? And at the end, after a series of stand-up meetings along the way, you do a retrospective on, well, what got done and what didn't? What can we identify about our process and about our code that needs to be changed as a result of the work that just happened within this sprint. And it's a great way of identifying problems earlier on in the process instead of waiting you know, six months before identifying an issue in either our code or even the way we're working together. And when he talks about uh, Agile-ish and, and, and using this, there are entire certifications. I mean, gosh, there's entire podcasts just dedicated to the, the, the study of Agile. And so Agile-ish just means they're adopting the parts that make sense for their organization instead of trying to fit themselves into a cookie cutter. It's a really good way of approaching and adopting it, and let's see how they're using it. But we do take a bunch of those practices where they make sense to us. So for instance, we have 
sprint planning. We have stand-ups um, daily or near daily for big projects or big initiatives where there are a bunch of people to coordinate. And we do, um, we do a sprint retrospective at the end of the two-week period where we talk about how things went and whether there are better ways that we could be working. And you're using uh, Trello, I think it is? We're using Trello across the organization now. Um, that wasn't my initiative. Some, someone started it before, before, um, uh, before I got there. And it was an amazing thing to do because it started the entire organization from marketing to tech using Trello to organize their stuff. It's helped everyone expose their work to each other. Within the tech team, um, because all of our projects are on GitHub, we're also using GitHub issues, uh, which has been a really good move for us because it's helped us um, track the different code commits, so different people's activity against a particular issue for like institutional memory. So many of us may know GitHub as uh, the best version control for our code out there. Version control just meaning that it's kind of like track changes in Word, where anybody who's in the code is able to say, hey, this is what I'm changing, and leave a little note. The GitHub issues is interesting because it actually allows it to become more of a project management system that's directly tied to the code. Developers tend to love this because they can actually uh, close and deal with issues directly within uh, their interface, and it's easy to set it up. Uh, with regard to labels and sprints and, and tracking issues inside of the, the code. So we can go back and say, okay, this was a problem, that was the bug, and then these three people committed this code against that bug. It's something that plenty of other issue tracking um, platforms like uh, and tools like Jira and, and some related ones have, uh, but GitHub Issues was really simple for us to take on. Yeah, I think often it's, it's less about the, the tool and more about the use of it, and if people adopt yeah. it, God bless it, it's the perfect tool. Exactly, exactly. So we have two things, and it's a little bit redundant, but um, but GitHub Issues has been really good for the for the tech and product team in particular to like track issues and, and code and, and watch how stuff moved around. So I've been watching from afar, getting the, the emails and the alerts and the, the final launch, and it's been uh -huh. really impressive. Like I think uh, maybe it was a result of you know, one great project management, great vision from the, the beginning, but it is the cleanest I've ever seen the site in terms of focus on this is what we do. Mm -hmm. Can you talk to us a little bit about now, what are the metrics that you're looking at, that you're now following, you launch a right. site and you're constantly on there. How are you measuring success from a technical perspective? Well, um, we did take a fresh look at all of our, our KPIs, our key performance indicators at the beginning of the year, knowing that we were kind of re-platforming and some of the behaviors would be different. And also that we would have the opportunity to, uh, to track certain things um, more cleanly. So um, a lot of the KPIs have to do with how uh, people come to the site, how they go through the kind of sign-up registration flow, participate in campaigns, and complete them. Um, one, of the, one of the KPIs that we report on now is site speed. Um, and we use two tools to measure that, and they actually report um, often very different things. One is Google, Google Analytics, and one is, um, one is New Relic's browser-side model. There's a lot we can learn from how Matt approached his first year at DoSomething.org. He broke it up into three phases. Learn, plan, execute. In that first phase where he's learning, he's talking, but he's most importantly listening. He's getting the ideas and uh, really the, the product vision that the different departments and teams have. Putting that all down and moving into the plan phase. Where then within this, he's refining their agile methodologies. He's managing the expectations of the team of this is what we can do and this is what we can't get done. 
Once he had that set, he moved into the finally the execute phase, where he brought the site uh, into where it would finally launch, uh, using the internal team and resources available. On our next episode, we're going to hear more about how he thinks about the key performance indicators of the site as it relates to site speed. Super important. Well, you can always find all the resources from this show at wholewhale.com slash podcast. And as always, thanks for joining us. This has been Using the Whole Whale, the podcast. For more on the topics covered in today's show, please check out wholewhale.com slash podcast. And consider following us on Twitter at Whole Whale. And thanks for listening.